Hello and welcome again to the Great Escape Minute. This minute is Minute 64 on this lovely Thursday. Uh, this is the daily podcast where we dig into the Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Rob. I'm Tom. And joining us once again this week is Richard Kirkham of Kirkham A Movie A Day and the host of the Lambcast. Welcome back, Richard. Oh, thank you, and thank you to your listeners for sticking with me for another day. You're very welcome. <laughs> so, episode 64, minute 64, starts with Colin continuing his discussion about birds, which yesterday we, we sort out the, that he's not really talking about birds, he's talking about their captors, or digging into them, and uh, ends with Henley uh, unloading the, the permits that he found in the wallet. So this this is this is actually an interesting minute because you know it, it continues from from the last minute where there you have all the forgers in in the the recreation room I think that's, I think that's what they called it a few weeks ago where they said the forgers were going to be working out of the out of here so he he continues talking about the the, the shape of the bird you know he says it's, it's a round shape you know I guess the round shapeness doesn't really connect very well with with what we discussed yesterday because you know they're not necessarily calling all all of the the, the Nazis, uh, you know, fat. And then, you know, it, it, the camera goes outside and we get to see Frick walking away back into the compound. And then you see a POW in a red shirt or in a uh, maroonish shirt just standing by the garbage cans. And and I love if you look in the background, you see there, there are three guys that look really bored just sitting with, you know, sitting on the stoop. They're actually not uh, extras that I recognize from anywhere else in the movie. So it's just funny that the Maybe there's just three extras that were bored on the set one day and just sat down in the back. But but this this scene once again, you know, allows us to see the the intricate way that uh, that they set up all the signals. You know, the, uh, you know, I think it was last week we we discussed more in detail the way that that the old signals were were set up and stuff like that. But here you once again have uh, pipe guy number two, you know, taking out his pipe and uh, just just tapping it on his hand. That's the whole signal. You, know, you don't even you don't even have to go into intricate signals. This is you know it reminds you of baseball. You know you have all the different signals where where you're trying to uh, to confuse people by using numerous signals. But in this case, every one of them just has one signal. You know his signal is to to tap his pipe into his hand. There's an even simpler signal that you skipped over. Changing the lid on the garbage can. That's the second. That's the next. Uh, the first thing you have is the guy with the with the pipe tapping his hand. The second thing is is the guy in the maroon shirt moving I, the cover I of the. I jumped the gun on that. Same <laughs> ah, there you go, there you go. See, Richard, in 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 these minute by minute movies, you have to pay attention to the order of things. Sometimes, apparently, boy, you know, <laughs> it does seem that's though, all right. That's I all should right. have plotted it, it out it, more closely, you know. No, it's fine. It's, it it like uh, you know, it's a sentence. Exactly. It, it only takes a second, each of these, you know, signals. And then you have the third signal is the, the, the lookout, you know, standing next to the to, to the recreation hall, you know, where he just knocks on the, on the wall a few times. So it, it's just interesting that, that, that they, they are continuing to show us the the, the intricate signals that, that these characters uh, or that the, the screenwriters decided to use for this, you know, for, for the way they show them in the movie. It does seem, while the signals themselves are simple, it seems like an overly complicated set of signals for three guys who are all in the same line of sight as each other. Because 
I mean, the guy with the trash can's obviously got to be able to see the guy with the pipe because the banging the pipe on the hand isn't going to make that much noise. And the guard just walked by the trash cans. So obviously if you're waiting for the guard to turn the corner and go into the guard shack or something, you need someone at that corner to see it. So that would make sense for the pipe guy. But then you've got the guy knocking the door who's seeing the guy move the trash cans. So you would think all three of these guys can see each other. The metal man can probably get cut out of this equation. Yeah, probably. I mean, the, the, we, we discussed this uh, when, when we talked about the, the the signals back a week or two weeks ago. I mean, the, the, the book doesn't really go into that much detail about the signals themselves. But but like they they talk about the fact that that for them the signals were okay he would open the window or he would put like a a piece of paper next to the window <laughs> things like that I mean the the screenwriters really uh, went went uh, quite far with these to me and and to me that's one of the most memorable things of this movie I mean that's also one of the most copied things in this movie there are so many other movies that that uh, that that deal with this you know where they they, they they steal the idea of okay, we're going to do signals. They don't, but none of them ever get into this intricate uh, way that they do it here. It's just, I think, a cinematic moment yeah. rather than a real moment. Yeah, but it, but it works, even though it's a cinematic moment. You know, I think most people, if you were to mention to them, you know, the Great Escape, they they would think about the the way the signals work. I would think about that. That's what I would think. But uh, and in know, the movie, maybe, maybe the- I'm in the. Oh, I just say in the movie's defense, it never occurred to me that all three of those guys could see each other until I was making notes for this minute. So, <laughs> did, Tom, did you make a uh, map as you were doing this to figure out where the rec center is located relative to the trash cans and the guard tower? No, I am, <laughs> did not do that. <laughs> I was just trying to make sure that uh, you weren't being so much more thorough than me that I skipped something really <laughs> essential. <laughs> no, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, you you don't really see you you can't see where where the distance is between the three of them. You know, we we assume that they're with that that they're all within sight of one another, but it's possible that 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 uh, you know you turn a corner at some point. That because of the way that the, the film cuts, you never really know. Yeah. Then it goes back into the room, into the rec room, and Colin sits down at the table. And he, they, you know, they, they, he opens up the, I mean, the, the way that, that, that they, they hid things. I mean, the, the book describes it also, but, but uh, the movie shows it so well. You know, that, you know, who would even think to look under the, the plank in the table? The center column <laughs> there, yeah. The center column, that that's where they're hiding things, you know. And he, he takes out some papers and he, he says, to, uh, Roger appears. Like, I, I didn't even notice beforehand that Roger's sitting and listening to his lecture. You know, he just, like, pops in. <laughs> you know, he knew, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe he was signaled that, uh, that Frick walked out. Oh, actually, maybe wait, if I look maybe back. Maybe that's what no, the third I, signal is. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. If I look back when Frick's in the room, you can actually see Rod McDonald at one of the tables, which which I think would have would have actually tipped off the Germans that something's going on. <laughs> if you got two of the highest ranking uh, officers sitting and, uh, you know, and drawing uh, birds. Um, yeah. So <laughs> so then, then, then he says, OK, you know, I have I, I have this 
Urlebschein, I don't even know how to, if I'm pronouncing it properly, which permission to cross a frontier. And then he, he asks them to, to, to pick the forgery of the two. Now, this is also something that's been copied so many times in, in movies ever since, you know, where you, where you, where you, you give someone two choices and you say, okay, which is the real one? You know, in heist movies and things like that. Yeah. And, and most of the time, the answer is they're both forgeries. Yes. Yeah. You know, and this, this, this is one of the, as far as I know, this is one of the originals of that, uh, of that, of that idea that here, I'm going to make two forgeries that are, that are, that are, that are almost perfect and you can be able to tell the difference. But the, then the bigger question is, is that how would anyone know what the hell an Erlebschein document is supposed to look like? You know, like he's, it's, it's as if he's showing them to Roger and Mac that they're experts on it and they're going to be able to, to, to know what this document is. Well, he's probably um, faking them out, you know, because he's got, he had to have an original to copy from, uh, whether or not they are experts at it, uh, I don't know. Tom, is this the uh, trope that you were talking about before? Yes, this is the forger trope that drives me absolutely crazy for what Rob was just talking about is I am showing my boss or someone here. Here's what I did for a counterfeit. Take a look at it. Let me know, you know, what you're seeing. Did I screw something up? You know, can you tell, you know, can a layman tell the difference? And by giving him two counterfeits, of course, they're not going to be able to tell the difference between the two. You need to give them the, here's what everyone in the world thinks this looks like, you know, because this is the actual thing. And here's what I've replicated. What do you see? You know, the only times I've seen it make sense is like the... There's a couple of movies or like the first, I think it's the first episode of that TV show White Collar where it's, I'm going to replace the thing with my counterfeit because I'm, you know, I think in the first episode of White Collar, it's like, oh, I've got, he's counterfeiting bonds. And so he decides he's going to replace like the one bond that's on display with his counterfeit because when they go to match the ones he shows up with, with the original, they're going to match because they're the same thing. But yeah, you, they need some sort of, here's the actual document. Here's the counterfeit. And it just, yeah, the fact they spoke counterfeits drive me insane whenever they do it in movies. <laughs> and it wouldn't be hard to fix that by simply having pull out the original and say, see how they see how meticulously we've copied each thing and then hand them the original the comparison to those other two copies but they don't do that they cheat it out right right but in in this case i think i think it's it's you know colin is somewhat of a sad sack throughout the whole movie and and they they actually give him a chance here to to he basically he starts laughing after this you know as if he's like okay i was able to finally fool the 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 the, the, the two top people here you know, he's he's laughing at himself at being able to do that. Right. I think this movie is old enough that this was kind of the start of that trope compared to where we yeah. are now. And so it's less, you know, you get a movie made in 2021 that does it and you just roll your eyes at it. You know, you give this, I give this movie a little bit of a break one because of what movie it is too. It's a 63 movie. So it predates a lot of the tropiness of it. Yeah. 
That's true. And so then the, the, the scene continues and, you know, conveniently, he basically says, well, the only thing we're missing right now is what Henley's going to give us. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know it's, it's convenient that Henley just happened to walk in, you know, I, because as, as earlier this week, the, the fact is, is the, you know, the barracks were empty. So they knew that he was there trying to get something, you know, out of out of Werner. So did they know if they were, he was going to be able to get the travel permits or not? I don't know. Okay, and they go, and we don't even have an idea of how what it looks like. So I, I guess that means that, that Henley supposedly, like this, you know, <laughs> exactly. I think Henley uh, he must know a little German because I'm assuming that it doesn't sound in English. Travel permit. You know, they, they, these these characters got to learn some very interesting German along the way. You know, I got to, to learn the names of, of all the important German documents that they need to follow uh, to, to to somehow forge and move along. And then the the, the minute moves along, and it's great how he starts pulling everything out of the wallet. It just happens to be that you know he he struck gold here. There's there's no question about it. Of all the the guards that he could have gotten from, Werner was the best one because he's apparently the stupidest because he has so many. You know, he, he carries around with him in his wallet. He carries a travel permit. He's got his military identity card. He's got an Auschwitz, which is a permission to be in Reich property. Okay, whatever whatever that really means. I, I guess it means you can only. Uh, it, it's also strange that. that you know, I, I don't know enough about the history as to why someone would need a permit. Does that mean that, that you can go into a particular place, or does it mean that, that you own a property that's a German property or something? I would guess you, would be you, you have you have a lot of areas that are occupied, and not everybody is authorized to be in some areas. Some people are traveling on business, and they are citizens of the Reich, and so they are entitled to be in a particular place. It's like an internal passport, whereas other people would be excluded automatically because they're not citizens or they aren't uh, good Nazis, and as a result, uh, you know, they they are always viewed with suspicion, and this would be one of those ways that you could just confirm, well, you, you're traveling through this part of the country, that's perfectly acceptable. You know, internal passports that's one of those things that uh, totalitarian regimes use and you know uh, and apparently covid-19 is going to be using it too um yeah well in in, in my country we've already had for months uh, passports with that because because we're almost all vaccinated but what you're basically saying is that every single person every single german in the reich would 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 get one of these well not everybody but uh, you know certainly party members and they then they wouldn't be there would be no suspicion about them being there. Like I said, I'm, my assumption is that they had a whole level. I mean, every time you see a movie about the war and there is something like this, they ask to see your papers. Well, then they can't all be the same papers. You know, if it's just your idea, identification, that doesn't tell us whether you are, if you're a, a, a German officer trying to figure out whether or not somebody's in a place that they're supposed to be, you wouldn't know just by seeing their identity. You'd have to have some other information. Are you authorized to be traveling? Are you authorized to be in a particular town? Are you authorized to uh, be carrying certain kinds of uh, materials or equipment? My guess is that there was an elaborate system like that for um, you know, the Gestapo to use. Well, and so here would be... And that's a guess. I don't know. Yeah, no, of course. We would, you know. So, I mean, even in a more modern, you know, sense, looking at the identification cards I have in my wallet, I mean, I've got my driver's license, which 
works most places. But then I've also got, like, my VA ID, which, you know, I get most of my health care through the VA system. So this is just a, you know, card. But it also then if I'm at, I get hit by a car in Bismarck, North Dakota, and have to go to a hospital there with that in my wallet, they're going to see, oh, this is, you know, just the way the VA healthcare system works. Oh, we're going to have to go about it this way because he's got that, you know, and so it's just these different identifications, yeah, just signify different things to different people in, you know, the Third Reich in this case. And, yeah, the military ID gets him on military bases, but maybe getting on military bases wouldn't get him into government buildings, but the card that gets him on Reich property gets him into government buildings free and clear. They're like parking right, permits. He, yeah, but he's he's basically just a, you know he's just a guard in a POW camp. So it's interesting that he has something like that. Maybe maybe it has to do with the fact that he has connections, and that's why he was given such a lowly, far away from the front. Maybe his wife is you know works in Hitler's secretary pool. <laughs> then if that was the case, ah, so you mean you mean like like in in the story of David and Bathsheba, how uh, you know. David sent sent her husband far uh, far on near the front. Is that oh, what, is that where you're you're implying there? No, I was actually going. Hitler, to, Hitler sent him to the front, or no, I was going to imply he's a moron. But his wife has you know his wife has a certain level job, so he just gets the ability to be on right property because he's married to someone. You know the same way. You know. If you're act, you know, U.S. duty, active military, you get your military ID card, but your well, spouse also gets a spouse ID card that he, gets him on the he base. He does work at a military installation. You know, he's at the prisoner of war sure. camp. If somebody else from the local area, the the civilians, wandered into that area, are they authorized to be there? No, because they don't have the uh, card that we were just talking about. Ah, they don't have an Auschwitz. Oh, okay. Maybe you need an Auschwitz, Auschwitz, or Auschwitz. Sorry. Uh, ah, so you're saying that's his permission to be on in in the camp? Yeah, Maybe. like I said, okay. in, a, in the military area, in a militarized area. Right. Okay. No, that that's 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 actually interesting. Okay, I didn't think about that. And then he has two more items in his in his wallet. I'm going to skip one of them and go back to that in a second. And he he has he has basically. The entire schedule, guard schedule for the next week, <laughs> and they say by day and hour. <laughs> Again, that's not something you really want to carry with you at all times, you know, uh, because you don't want to lose it. I guess I guess he figures that his wallet is 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 the safest place to to keep this the, this information. You you'd think that that you'd have in the in in the duty office or whatever it is that you know you'd have the schedule there. You have to give each each and every guard. The, their their own schedule to carry around. So that that was interesting that he has it. And then the 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 item that I skipped over, it says that he has a ticket to Odin. Now, did either of you check what Odin is or where it is? I did not. I did okay. not. Okay. Have you looked it up? Of course I did. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I I actually couldn't find a town called Odin. The closest I came was something called Odinwald, which is. 650 kilometers, or close to 700 kilometers away from where the camp is. The camp is in, in Sagan, or which is known now as Zagin, in Poland. So it's it's 
quite strange that he would actually have a ticket that goes all the way to you know to his hometown or wherever. And maybe that's where where you know his 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 you know Hitler's secretary is is, uh, <laughs> is living. Who knows? I mean, Odin is is Odinwald is is close to Frankfurt. To go from Zagen or Sagen to 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 Odinwald, you have to go through Dresden. You have to go through Chem, Chem, Chemnitz. You have to go through Warburg. I mean, there there are big cities along the way that that you have to get through in order to get there. So it'd be very strange that he would have a ticket that would be going straight to to Odin. You, you know, he'd have. My thought is is that there wouldn't be a train that t- takes him straight there. You know, it's going to take a while to get to there. For those for those that don't know uh, kilometers, it's it's six hundred. 669 kilometers is approximately, I think it's about 500 miles, maybe a little bit less. Yeah, about 450 uh, miles. So that that that's a, a it's four, no, it's 400 miles. It's 403 miles according to the conversion that I just did. Yeah, it's 403 miles. That that that's a, a nice trip. Uh, again, I mean, you don't get to choose where you're being stationed, so it's not as if you know he would say, "Oh, don't put me in Sagan because it's 400 miles away from where I live." No. No, but I just found it. It, it these are like little interesting tidbits that they did know, they, that they say throw if it out. Was a used ticket, or did they say if it's good no. for upcoming? So it might just be left over from when he traveled. No, but it's a ticket to Odin, not a ticket from Odin. Meaning that if he would have traveled there, he would have come back. Well, he'd probably have that too, but maybe he didn't keep that one. I I keep most of my movie stubs, but not all of them. Right. Okay. And I don't um, usually keep them in the wallet anymore. Once upon a time, I did. <laughs> yeah, I used to. I used to do that also years and years ago. But I don't have. I don't have a movie stuff for for quite a long time at this point. So <laughs> that's. Uh, so that's maybe Werner so, just had uh, leave coming up. It's possible. It's very good. Very very possible. So I just it, it's I, I I like the way that they throw in these little tidbits here and there. I thought I would point that out, Richard. Uh, you've you've been talking to us all week about this, and, and we we forgot to ask you. Uh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about your history with this movie? How did you first come across it? You know, oh, uh, sure. Why is it among your favorite movies? You know, if it well, is, it is, <laughs> it is. It's a it's a terrific movie. I must have seen it for the first time on television sometime in the late '60s. Uh, I I remember watching it and. I know where I lived when I first saw it, and that was in uh, East Los Angeles, and we moved from there in 1969, so I must have seen it on television sometime between when it was released and 1969, and I would have watched it. uh, It would have either been a Sunday night movie or a Friday night movie. It's a very typical sort of thing for the the time period, Um, and like I said, I, I caught it then, and then... Over the years, I saw it many more times, the same kind of thing. It's it's a long movie to start with, but when you start adding in commercial breaks the way that uh, television used to put in the movies, it could even have been a two-night event uh, that they would have put it over two nights. Well, I know that I know that the the video originally, you know, when they when it originally came out on video, it was it was cut into two into two parts. We have a- uh, so my assumption is is that that they, they they when they aired it on on regular TV you know in the 60s and 70s and even in the, the beginning of the 80s they would they would do it you know two it would be a two night affair you know, yeah, before that cable would, that would make a lot of sense and 
the uh, I even remember where they cut it. They cut it right after. Uh, spoiler alert to everyone who hasn't seen this. They cut it right when Ives after Ives is shot. That's the the break in the movie. Well, there there was a station in Los Angeles that uh, played movies every night, Monday through Friday, uh, at eight o'clock, eight to ten before their ten o'clock news came on, and. They they had limited commercials in them, but this would probably be one of those ones that they would have split it over two nights and uh, done that. That would make a lot of sense also. Uh, like I said, and then once uh, the home video revolution came around, it showed up pretty regularly. Plus, I had a uh, a couple of premium channels, and it would be one of those things that I would see. They always I, – I think it was a movie that got played on the 4th of July pretty regularly. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I seem I seem to recall watching it on on holiday, and uh, that would have probably been the most obvious one, or maybe Memorial Day also. Right. Okay, that makes sense. All right. Do uh, you have anything else to, to to say about this minute? I just did a quick Google search. I have a second possible um, solution for Odin. Okay. <laughs> well, because they just say he's got Thor's a ticket, ticket to Odin, right? It's just ticket to okay. Odin, not specifically train ticket. I'm remembering that correctly, right? Yes, correct. In Paris, there is the – I. it's basically spelt Odin, but I don't know if it's pronounced differently in French, but there's the Odin Theater in France. So I'll, I'll bet there are plenty of Odin theaters. I think that that's a fairly typical name. I don't know what the f- translation of the word is, but I think I've seen uh, the name Odin on theaters. Well, yeah, I've seen it also. It, I've seen they have it in England. It's the Odeon. Yeah. yeah. This one just looks like it was opened in 1782, and it looks like yeah, they had movies back in 1782. No, it looks like it's uh, <laughs> yeah, but. I mean, it looks like I type in Odin Europe, and it's the first thing that comes up. So it's a big enough deal that maybe it was a playbill or a ticket to a play he went to. And so that goes along with you guys keeping your movie stubs. Yeah, there you go. So Werner was keeping his movie stubs. <laughs> That's it. He was he was on leave in France and went to went and was able to see a movie in 1943. You know, came back and said, wow, I saw Casablanca. Um, that's very possible. Okay. Do, do either of you have anything else for this minute? Nope. Nope. All right. So, Richard, you want to once again tell everyone how they can get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, if you go to the Large Association of Movie Blogs, which is found at largeassmovieblogs.com, uh, you can uh, get a hold of me and listen to the podcast, which is published on a weekly basis, The Lambcast. And I also have a personal site, Kirkham a Movie a Day, which is easily uh, uh, found by a Google search. And uh, if you if you type in Kirkham a Movie a Day, a Movie a Day, it will take you to the WordPress directly. And uh, the uh, Blogspot site will probably show up in your search. Excellent. All right. Well, in order to contact us, you can send us an email at uh, thegreatminute at gmail dot com. You can write us on Twitter at greatscapemxm. Our Facebook group is The Kula, and our website is thegreatescapeminute.com. Please go and rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcatcher you use. We'll close out the week uh, tomorrow with Richard, if you're, if you're still willing to come back for one more show. I think I can do another day. All right. You sound like we're boring you. Sorry. No, no, no. Not at all. <laughs>
I All guess right. so we'll see everyone. You know, the audience yeah. can listen for a whole week and they say, is this guy coming back? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Till tomorrow, tally-ho. 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 Tally-ho.